Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company in 2020. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. In this episode, we hear from a Wong Golding, who arrived in London in 2009, having left her life in Hong Kong to pursue her ambition to become a milliner. She talks through what she has learned about balancing being a creative that also has to run a commercial business, as well as where she continues to seek her inspiration from. Awan creates bespoke, fun and fresh special occasion hats and bridal headpieces and counts Lady Gaga and Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex, among her clients. And most recently, Kylie Minogue sported a custom-made Lily headpiece to celebrate her new album's release, Disco. Hi Awan, thank you so much for joining How to Start Up. It would be wonderful if you could give a little bit of an introduction as to who you are and a bit about your background if possible. Sure. Um, so my brand is called A One Golding Millinery, and I create made-to-order occasion hats and bridal headpieces for modern women. I was born in Hong Kong. I was raised in Hong Kong and India, and now I'm based in London. So I moved to London in 2009 to pursue my kind of journey into millinery. And why London for millinery? So London is the home of hats. Um, It's where I think hats are still the most alive um, in terms of tradition, etiquette. You know, people still wear hats here to weddings and on daily basis. When I think about Hong Kong, there really wasn't much of a hat culture there. Yeah, that's really true, actually. I'd not thought about that. How long did you have to train for before you then set up your company? So I was kind of limited by the courses that were actually available. So unlike fashion, which, you know, you can do MA, BA, all kinds of and everything in between millinery, actually, we don't even have a BA here. So what I did was an HNC, which is a higher national certificate. That was the longest course I could do because I really wanted to get as much training as possible. So I enrolled in this one year course at Kensington Chelsea College. But alongside that, I did internships with various established milliners and kind of evening classes here and there as well. So trying to flesh out my experience as much as possible. So simultaneous to the actual course that you were doing, you were looking for training outside of it as well. Yeah, yeah. So the the internships, I'd say, were invaluable, actually, because you're not only are you learning the kind of skills from someone who's been doing it for so many years, um, but you're also seeing the inside of their business. That's really true. Yeah. It was good to kind of see that from the very beginning because it was almost like setting a goal. So how many years did you have to train before you then took plunge? Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it took me a long time, I would say, to even kind of call myself a milliner. I mean, technically speaking, there's no set amount of time you know, before you kind of call yourself a milliner or you are, you know, a craftsperson, I guess. It's just what you feel comfortable with. Um, But I didn't really set up my business um, properly until about four years after I'd finished the course. And that's kind of when I felt ready to actually, you know, have a kind of concerted front as my brand. And what was it that made you want to start your own company and your own brand as opposed to going to work for somebody that you'd done work experience with? I think my own brand was always the kind of end goal, but I kind of saw like both things as being simultaneous. I was making hats for other people and kind of earning money from it uh, whilst I was, you know, working for other milliners. It's expected. Yeah, it was just a slow process of kind of, I think, gaining enough confidence, gaining enough skills and and enough of a profile 
I think, to really set out on my own. You know, that's a huge, big decision to move to London to do the training four years later, then set up the brand. That's a long, a long-term view. What was it back in Hong Kong that inspired you to do that? Well, I've, I've always been a kind of avid hat wearer, which I guess in Hong Kong really set me apart anyway, because people don't really wear hats there that much. Um, so it was my way of kind of standing out and being an individual. So, you know, the initial kind of seed was planted just through a love of hats and a love of fashion. And I guess growing up with an artist father kind of made me think, actually, I could have a creative career. So it all culminated when I had, I think the last job I had in Hong Kong was actually very, very boring. And it was kind of a computer-based, Excel spreadsheet-based job in the fashion industry. It really was the impetus for me to go, actually, this is really not what I want to be doing. I need to get out of Hong Kong. I need to spread my wings and let's finally do hats. And put your best foot forward. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So after four years of training, when you set up your company, what was the first thing you did? So it wasn't really four years of training. It was kind of simultaneous classes, but also working. So straight out of my um, HNC degree, I was poached for a job designing uh, soft accessories and hats for the high street. So I, I spent two years doing that, which was really good um, experience, actually, because it was completely commercial. I was working with factories in China, but liaising with clients here in the UK. So some of our clients were like Topshop, River Island, New Look. So it was just kind of, it gave me this very solid grounding in commercial millinery. Yes, it's one thing to make something beautiful, but it's another thing to actually make some money out of it. Yeah. And I think that that's, that was actually kind of something I kept seeing with like a lot of people, well, a lot of milliners actually, is people are so enamored with the craft that they don't know how to market themselves. You know, it's all good and well making something really, really beautiful. But if you spent 40, 50 hours making it, it's almost impossible to get that money back when you end up selling it to someone. You need to put as much time and effort into the marketing as the actual crafting, would you say? Yeah, I think it, it's finding the balance between the time spent on it and, you know, the craft and the experience and the price that you end up putting on it. Uh, were you given a piece of advice right at the beginning that was really useful? Yeah. So when I was in Kensington, Chelsea, my um, college tutor, Kirsten Scott, gave me the best bit of advice. And I think the advice I still hold now, which is basically the last man standing is the one that makes it. It really pushed me to persevere with my dreams and the business and kind of keep plugging away at it because every kind of knockback you have is experience and you grow from it. Given that you're 11 years in now, who do you listen to for advice? So I love talking to other makers and other craftspeople. So whether that be other milliners or you know, kind of complementary industries like jewellery or fashion, or just even artists. Um, I think that I'm always really interested in people's processes and how they kind of get to the end product, because I'm still on a journey with my, my kind of process of making. So by speaking to other people, I kind of get a little bit of an insight into how they process things. You're almost still seeking that work experience. It's that voyeurism into other people's systems and processes and businesses so that you can learn from them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you ever stop learning, really. Like, you know, I look at kind of the top people in my industry, like Stephen Jones and Philip Tracy, and they're constantly evolving. They never stop reinventing themselves. And I think that in fashion, you kind of have to keep fresh. So I'm constantly looking at new materials and new technology and new skills and seeing how you can kind of blend them all together. 
whilst millinery is an exceedingly traditional craft, we are living in very modern times. So you kind of have to marry those two things. Given that we're in strange times, how do you continue to stay inspired? I mean, something I did do recently was a little bit of museum exploring just through Google, because they've done a whole kind of Google Maps um, of you know, the best museums around the world. So you can look at, you know, amazing art pieces and works without ever leaving the comfort of your sofa. And now we have lost every listener because they've all switched to Google and they've gone (laughs) all to museums. Thanks, one end of the book world. (laughs) That's amazing. I didn't know that. That's really cool. It's a very, very poor substitute. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something though, something that you can proactively go and seek and fuel yourself with. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I would say that, you know, people inspire me the most. Um, so I'm really looking forward to just kind of meeting up with people and mm. and having that kind of, you know, free conversation again. How do you continually learn or upskill, given that you are running your own business and you're not necessarily working now with other milliners that often? How do you keep fueling your skill set? So I think everyone's kind of turned to online learning, actually. actually I'm eyeing up a, a current online course by a milliner I really love in Australia. So I am doing online courses through that. But I'm also actually starting next week. I'm doing um, an online business course as well, run by the London Creative Network. So I'm just trying to kind of stay as active as possible, obviously, from the confines of my home. You know, it is amazing what the internet can provide. And what was the most surprising thing you learned about yourself when you became your own boss? It was kind of the realisation of how much people actually meant to me. You know, because I I have a studio that I go to that's about 50 minute walk from my house. And, you know, I don't have a commute. I walk there by myself and I sit in a room by myself. So I've been isolating myself, actually, from well before lockdown. Really, that was a process, actually, getting to just be in my own company for that much time really showed me, actually, how much I miss people. So I've kind of had to engineer a network so that I don't feel so lonely. And how have you done that? Uh, That's like reaching out to other people who are also in creative industries. Luckily, my studio is part of an artist's community. So it's through Beaux Arts Trust. So there are fine artists, printmakers, fashion designers, all different kinds of creative people who have studios in my complex. So I've kind of insinuated myself into their lives as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, hi. Yeah, exactly. Like tea. <laughs> I'm, I'm that girl that will be knocking at your door. <laughs> <laughs> I've started turning up at people like walking meetings I've asked for or anything like that with homemade granola. And wow. I was like, I just thought you something to say thanks for your time. It's like, <laughs> this is a redundancy startup press gift. But it's actually gone down really well. And they're all like, you need to do a granola brand. I was like, you know. What's your best advice for managing clients, given that you've got multiple different stakeholders? So I think each kind of avenue requires a different approach. So for instance, I've got wholesale clients. Well, it's department stores, really. So, you know, kind of the Harrods, the Selfridges of this world. That is obviously a meeting at the date and time of their choosing, which is kind of in line with seasonal collections. So spring, summer, autumn, winter. And I would go and present my collection to them. Um, I think that the key kind of element to any client facing interaction is having passion for what you're making. I think passion is really contagious and just really believing in your design. And I think that's something that I've been learning more and more over the years as well, is that I do have a kind of a signature look and feel. And I'm, I'm known for a certain thing now, which is kind of modern, fresh, fun millinery. 
And I think it's just kind of believing in those things and selling those things to them. I'm still obsessed with your pom-pom one. Oh, I just thank can't you. get over it. That image is just... <laughs> oh. And what did you learn about pricing yourself, given that you would be going to these you know, globally renowned retailers, walking in and owning your pricing? Is, have you got any advice on that? I mean, wholesale pricing is it's a formula that I learned at college. Um, so they kind of armed us with just the simple, simple formula of, you know, your costs, you know, weighing that all up, looking at the market. Um, I think it's really knowing your competitors, understanding where you fit within the kind of landscape of um, whatever industry you're in. And yeah, understanding your end customer as well. Uh, another big part of my job is obviously direct to customer sales because I make made to order occasion hats. So I have people who are coming to me for very, very special events like weddings. So, you know, they're brides, they're mothers of the bride. They're going to their first Ascot race or something. So it's really a very, very personal experience where they come to my studio. I give them a consultation. You know, it's really one on one. And that is what I love the most, actually, because you really get to know people. So right at the beginning when you were starting out, how did you let clients know that this is what you were doing? So in the beginning, I relied heavily on my own networks and my friends and family and their friends and their family. It was very much word of mouth. But I really was very, very lucky as well in that the first collection I ever made. So that's going back to spring, summer 14. And I would say that that was really when my brand was born. So that was the gelato one. So that the ice cream pom pom that you were talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that collection was picked up by Liberty. And it wasn't something that I had pitched for either. They'd seen my pieces on a feed. I think it was of some competition that I'd entered and they just loved it. And they called me in for a meeting and I presented to them and kind of the rest is history. It's worth putting some feeders out in different areas. Yeah, I think that if you've got something to sell, um, you should be putting it out there in as many forms as possible. You know, so I mean, for me, because I have a physical product, um, the photography is so, so important. So I do kind of spend quite a bit of money on that. And if I have like an amazing photographer, I have a really fantastic model. And it's in those photo shoots that my hats come alive. They really do, though. They're so fun. And you look at them, you just want them on your head. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm going for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. How important is trust to you now that you're self-employed? Trust between me and my my employees is super important. Um, Hmm. You know, because I am a one woman show unless I've kind of brought other people into my team. So in the beginning, I was relying very heavily on interns because I couldn't really afford to be paying someone full time or even part time. So the exchange was obviously their time for experience. But actually, that was kind of a false economy because you end up just you know, watching over the shoulder the entire time because they're not that skilled. So I've really found that now I'm in a you know position where I can actually pay someone. You know, I'm putting a lot of trust in them to follow my instructions, follow through on um, the production. Yeah, that kind of trust in that person's skills is really important. So putting company budget behind employing the right people actually brings you bigger economies of scale? Yes, exactly. And what did you learn about working with other people when you're self-employed? Because you're your own brand, your name is on the door, and you're having to have lots of external suppliers. Do you have advice how to manage them? Yeah, I mean, the suppliers are so important for us creatives because, I mean, I'm making something physical. So my materials are coming from, you know, a kind of whole network of people, mainly in the UK, actually, because luckily being in London, which is the home of hats, 
um, and being so close to Luton, which is the traditional home of hats, um, a lot of my suppliers are still based in Luton. So I think it's so important to be on first name basis with them, formed kind of personal relationships with them as well. So they are familiar with my design and my kind of aesthetic. So they can actually suggest things to me that I maybe, if I haven't actually gone physically up to their shop, they can go, actually, I've got some new feathers in, or we've got this new product that I think you really should look at. So I think it's forging those kind of relationships that is paramount. And if you had your time again, is there anything you would go back and just not do? Um, I don't know about not do. The amount of kind of stress and worry that I've kind of caused myself. I was thinking about specific moment actually which was when I took part in London Fashion Week which was five years ago I broke out in eczema because I was so stressed it was kind of it wasn't necessary and I think looking back on that time you know that was an inexperience and that was putting too much pressure on myself when I really shouldn't have I kind of helped myself out of it by kind of creating a personal mantra which sounds so corny (laughs) oh come on (laughs) What is it? What is well, it? I mean, it's it's actually it was. I'm going to swear now, but it's okay. it's just a fucking hat, and it was a sign that I just printed out and I put above my desk. And any time I started freaking out about you know deadlines for you know creating this collection for London Fashion Week, which was going to be put on this like international stage, seen by everyone and judged, I just looked at that sign and I was like, it's just a fucking hat. It's, you know, I'm not curing cancer. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Well, PR can top your corniness. It's not ER, it's PR. (laughs) So there you go. It's so true because we work in this wonderful escapist bubble where we allow others to dream. And But it's your job and it means the world to you and it's your company, it's your income. Of course, you're going to feel the pressure. Yeah. But if you can talk yourself down off that stress ledge, then all the better. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stress and that kind of pressure does not help creativity as well. And in fact, it stifles it. So, you know, kind of that worry that I had about, oh, my God, is anyone going to like anything I'm producing is is the death of a good hat. I was going to ask, what do you enjoy the least about being self-employed now? It's definitely the Excel spreadsheets. It's the, (laughs) the accounting. It's the bookkeeping. It's all of the what I call boring nitty gritty. Okay, I'm weird. I really like that stuff. Well, I think you're made I to be a self-employed well, business no, owner. Then. Oh, I think I've always argued that in my previous roles, it was the only time I really got to dig into numbers. And that's, you know, my brain quite enjoyed a little bit of that. And it gave, obviously, you could do some analysis around coverage and it gave my job some substance. So for me, it I think it was a proof point for me. But as genuine creatives, you are you are better sat at your chair creating beautiful millinery. So for you, you're being distracted by the Excel. Um, I think also, I don't know, just growing up with my dad, who is an artist through and through, um, I think that also kind of made me see that actually you can't just be 100% creative, which is what he is. You have to have some business now. And so what is it you enjoy the most? It's the creating, it's the making, it's, it's that client interaction as well. It's speaking to someone about what they want in a hat and what it's for making it and seeing them wear it it's that it's the full process of plucking an idea out there and bringing it into reality any other golden nuggets you might have to offer i think it is actually really important to have other passion projects um and you never know how it's going to inspire you 
you know, I've got my other project, which is the um, Oat Dogs calendar, which is a combination of my two passions, which is dogs and hats. The it's gorgeous, Stevie. <laughs> yeah. You know, my muse, Stevie. Um, dog, dog muse. I love it. Yeah. So, What's the charity? Um, so this year it was Wild at Heart Foundation, but um, every year it's a different dog charity that benefits and we use um dogs rescue dogs from those charity to feature in the calendar as well yeah i mean it really is the kind of combination of two of my passions um and it's something good for this world 12 different milliners isn't it for each yes month that yes. shoot a favorite piece on a rescue dog yes exactly so i invite 11 other milliners obviously the 12th is me but it's also great just kind of having a project that is quite creative. You know, we're making hats for dogs, which could quite possibly be the best clients ever. Thanks one so much. I really enjoyed learning everything that you had to share. It's been so helpful. Thank you so much for asking me. It was a real pleasure. It's been really interesting to hear how a one manages to keep the creative spark alive at the same time as managing the commercial side of her business. I have to add that in the year of this pandemic, she has also turned her talents to making the most elegant, beautiful silk face masks that anyone could possibly wish for. If you'd like to contact a one and hear about how her dog new Stevie inspired the Oat Dogs calendar, you'll find all of her details in the show notes, as well as a recap of the advice she has shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up, hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement, and reassurance that you're on the right track. I would be delighted if you'd rate, review, and share this podcast with anyone else who might be starting a company in 2020.